What's your favorite scary movie? Thirteen Degrees of Screams, where we watch and dissect your favorite spooky movies. I'm your host, Alex. And Stephanie. And this is a mostly horror podcast. This week, we join the Harga in Midsommar. So, Stephanie. Yeah. I'm not even pretend you love this movie. This was my suggestion. You've definitely seen it (laughs) before. We Uh, all done notice. Yeah. I think I've watched it pretty much every year since it's come out, honestly. It's your comfort watch. (laughs) Out of horror movies, I guess so, yeah. It's a weird one to pick. I know, but I I really like it. (laughs) I want to say something and don't take this the wrong way. Okay. Outside of the evil bullshit these people are doing, I could definitely see you live in that community. I vibe with it. (laughs) I had a feeling. I'm like, I know why she likes this movie. I vibe with it. She would just want to like live in that little field, picking flowers all day and Mm -hmm. dancing. Kind of. Yeah. I mean, aside from the being outside a lot, like, yeah. But it seems so idealistic out yeah, there. Yeah, they seem very happy and just, it's very beautiful and bright Yeah, all the time, so. I will say every single day I live on this earth, I'm like one step further than just going to live in the forest. <laughs> so I get it outside yeah. again. Yeah. Of the crazy outside stuff. Outside of the crazy stuff that happens. Yeah. yeah I wouldn't be what? interested in that. Like, you know, like they kill people off at 72. I would be like, 71, I got something to do. So <laughs> Roll I'll see out. you guys later. Like <laughs> I have to go do some errands. Yeah, I'll be right back. <laughs> BRB. <laughs> so I know when this is happening, right, mm-hmm. there's barely any darkness, mm-hmm. which is ideal for me. I don't like, despite being a night owl, I actually like it being bright and sunny basically all the time. But I do know, like, on the opposite end, it's dark. Mm-hmm. So I would just go there during the summer and then just go somewhere else. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll just switch between Australia and Sweden. Oh, yeah. That sounds good. Let's go and do that. Buy two houses. It'll be fine. Yeah, of course. Millennials can afford two houses. Yeah. It's fine. I just need to not buy coffee. Duh. Yeah, that'll stop everything. That'll stop. That'll fix everything. Those $10, like once a week. (laughs) I know. You just save and you will be rewarded. (laughs) Stephanie, we had Midsummer as our 12th movie on the scariness scale. So second scariest do you agree with that thought i guess not really because it's like my comfort horror movie honestly <laughs> so if you're like i see nothing wrong here i just watch it i guess i would probably find it more at like an eight maybe okay. rather than a 12 alex does all the ratings yeah, I was gonna say, this me. is why you shouldn't let me do this i'll tell you why i had so high okay okay i'm interested so we saw this movie together mm-hmm. at a friend's house and i remember watching it and being like, wow, I feel really shitty. Like, we finished the movie. I'm like, I feel so upset. I feel so depressed. I hate everything. And the ending mm-hmm. with the bodies, we'll get there. Mm-hmm. The sight of that freaked me the fuck out. Yeah. I was like, this isn't, who, why? What psychopath likes this movie? Oh, no. Step, no. I'm just kidding. Okay, it's one of those movies I was talking to a friend about it recently after we watched it. And it's one of those situations where it's a really well done movie. I think it's a good movie, but it doesn't make you happy. And by you, me, and I'm sure other people. Yeah. Right off the bat, the very first scene, I was like, oh, shit, what are we, what are right. we in for? Right. Like, it was so upsetting. It just, it's another one of those movies that really set the mood. And 
crazy that it's all during the day, bright and sunny. And I think that's part of the weirdness of it. In I, I definitely say that was probably like one of the first things that drew me to it is like, how could a scary movie take place all together in the daylight? Because usually, mm-hmm. you know, when you think of scary movies, you think of jump scares, things that you can't see really in the dark. And so I was very curious of what they would be yeah, doing in a field of daisies or whatever. Right. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, cool. I'll do it. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, it's again, it's one of those situations less scary, but more, it's so dreamlike and nightmarish Mm -hmm. that that's where it's stemming from but i will say having watched it the second time i did not have those feelings like i did the first time okay i knew what was happening i was able to like really focus a little bit better and not like be caught up in my emotions Mm -hmm. a little bit so i enjoyed it way more the second time and i was able to like catch more i would say yeah so had i done a ranking after watching it the second time i probably would put it lower Okay. I think it's just the shock value. Yeah. The first time. Right. And, and you be- don't know how far they're going to go. Right. It's just, it like ramps up and you're like, oh my God, what, how, it's so long. It's two and a half hours long. Mm-hmm. So you're like, what else could happen? Like, yeah. this is terrible for everybody involved. Like, right. it's so anxiety inducing. But having seen it and knowing what's happening, I was able to enjoy it a little bit more and wasn't as scary or shocking the second time. Okay. But for first watch, be warned. There's a lot of heavy topics, I would say. For sure. Yeah. Definitely deals with like death of a family and a traumatic death of a family. Lots of trauma, just yeah, in just general. Trauma, trauma, trauma. But one reason I really like it is I find it very cathartic in a way because it's going through the stages of a breakup almost as well, mm-hmm. or or like the start of one. And also she is grieving the loss of her family and everything. So I find it very moving on an emotional level rather than the whole like, oh no, everyone's getting their heads bashed in kind of thing. It's not like (laughs) those are my favorite parts. (laughs) It's just that like, that's just something that happens in this girl's emotional journey. And I don't know. I find that very interesting. I feel like Danny is a very relatable and sympathetic character. I love Florence Pugh, honestly. I think this is one of the first movies I saw her in. She's great. I love her. This is so... (laughs) Weird, but I'm going to say it anyways. There's this video of her on YouTube. You can watch it. Going through traditional English foods, and she's just trying it and talking about it. I I love that video. <laughs> I've watched it multiple times. I'm like, what am I doing watching for? Is she just like adorable doing it? or what? Yeah. I, just something about just the way she talks and her manner. I'm like, I love this woman. Yeah, she's beautiful. I just recently watched her in Little Women. Like, I've never watched Little Women, but I saw clips of it on TikTok, and I was like... No, I've never really been interested, but it has her and Sharice Sharonin and Emma Watson. Like, I, let's see what happens when these girls get together. <laughs> and I really liked it, honestly, because really? not because of the story, really. Just these ladies. These ladies are <laughs> awesome. I love them. <laughs> I know. But that's how I found out what Bubble and Squeak is. Oh, really? It's a British food. It's like made out of leftovers. Oh. Do and potatoes, I think. But it's called Bubble and Squeak. How cute. I know. Like, that's a very weird name for food. I'll send you the video later. So okay. if you ever want to watch Florence Pugh eat, like, English foods for, like, 15 minutes. For sure. I got you. I will. <laughs> um, But to your point of it being very cathartic, like, there's scenes in it that are, like, you're watching the release of emotion. Mm-hmm. And I feel like if you're a person who's uncomfortable with watching people cry or express those emotions, this is going to be a real weird watch for you. No, this is definitely, like... 
you're in your sad girl feels kind of moment <laughs> and you can like handle a horror movie as well. Mm-hmm. So you just mash them together and you just have this moment and maybe cry a little bit and also get upset because horror and then yeah. you're done and you're like, oh, okay, I feel better. <laughs> you know what? Whatever works for you. <laughs> I'm not, no judgment. That being said, I didn't feel cathartic. I'm like, oh my God, I just watched this woman just descend into madness while dealing with all this shit. Kinda. Like, I know, I know, I know what it is. I know what what has happened and stuff like that. But I also am like, at the end, I'm also kind of like, good for her. <laughs> well, you know what, though? Kind of. Because yeah, I agree. Like... <laughs> I'm like, you know what? She's probably better off. <laughs> Just sad to say. Uh, Yeah, it is sad, but it just seems like nobody was taking care of her the way that these people have within like two days. And yeah, I just I don't know. Like it feels like that's it's something that she needed, and like on like some sort of primal level. So it doesn't really matter what they've done. Yeah. Oh yeah. I you feel so sympathetic for her character because you see her going through all this shit, but she's the type of character like she's dealing with arguably way more stuff than these people but she's always the one like trying to take care of others or Mm -hmm. like apologizing for acting a certain way or having an emotion or saying or disagreeing or whatever and and it like it like triggers me because i'm like you know you know how that feels and you just watch it the whole movie and i'm like oh my god burn this place down please right and even (laughs) when she's not talking even if she's in the background or whatever like that you can still tell like on her face emotionally she is sad she Mm -hmm. is always sad Mm -hmm. or you know like experiencing trauma like not to say like she's always frowning but in a sense you'd like always can just read like that's her energy that's her vibe like she is dealing with the hardest moment of her life kind of thing yeah so and even when she's not saying a word (laughs) yeah we'll get you know plot but like we did not take the time to heal Mm -hmm. at all well and her boyfriend others are to blame <laughs> oh yeah no i'm not saying you this is your fault no, but like, no. yeah it's just a cacophony mm-hmm. and perfect storm of what ends up happening so. yes are you ready to dive into some background on the movie yes midsummer is a 2019 horror film written and directed by ari aster starring florence Pugh and jack raynor as a troubled couple who join their friends on a trip to a remote swedish village for a midsummer festival However, they soon find themselves entangled in the sinister practices of a pagan cult. The movie also features William Jackson Harper, Wilhelm Balgren, Elora Torchia, Archie Medequi, I don't know how to say that name, and Will Poulter, which, fucking <laughs> Will Poulter. Originally conceived as a slasher film set in Sweden, the final version of Midsummer focuses more on the deteriorating relationship between the main characters, drawing inspiration from Ari Aster's own difficult breakout. The film's soundtrack, composed by British musician Bobby Kurlick, takes influence from Nordic folk music. Principal photography took place in Budapest from July to October 2018. No 23 days, but okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> Midsummer was released in the United States by A24 on July 3rd, 2019, and Sweden by Nordisk Film on July 10th of 2019. It grossed 48 8 million and received positive reviews with praise for Astor's direction and Pew's performance, although it divided general audiences. Astor and the film's production designer Henrik Svensson researched Swedish folklore and traditions to create the unique world of the Harga cult. 
They also drew inspiration from historical Swedish farms and various folk celebrations. Writing in The Guardian, Steve Rose describes Midsummer as a powerful study of grief, betrayal, breakups, and more. Rose suggests that Danny's three male companions may be seen as representing toxic masculinity. Or analogs of three male companions in The Wizard of Oz, namely the Tin Man, Cowardly Lion, and Scarecrow. Mm, Rose, interesting. Yeah. If you think about the Scarecrow, at least, I was like, mm, yeah, yeah. Coward. Cowardly Lion has mm, got to be Christian. Definitely a, uh, <laughs> or, Cowardly oh. Lion, I would assume, would be Mark. But Tin Man. He doesn't have a heart, so that would be Christian, I think. Maybe. See, I Who would do you think... think Scarecrow is? Well, now I'm just going to do a deep dive <laughs> on this. Scarecrow. Who was the Will Poulter's character? Was that Mark? The guy uh, who gets stuffed with straw? The fool. Yeah. Mark, yeah. Yeah. So and I would then say he's cheaty from good Yeah, I'd say he's the Tin Man. Mostly because he was just focused on his research and stuff, mm-hmm. like not having a heart. He, did. Um, he just wanted to. I don't know. I felt like he was the most sympathetic to Danny. I mean, not to not, Danny. Like, not like emotionally, but like friendly ish yeah. to her. So I would say he was more scarecrow. Then I would say Christian is the Tin Man because he didn't have a heart, and a cowardly lion would be Mark. I huh. assume. Interesting. <laughs> I have. I thought. I... I'm, I'm sure everyone sees him differently as right. well. Too. I just Christian was such a little. I mean, he's I, I definitely have, the cowardly lion. I have so many words for him. I know. Well, we'll get to when we get to the plot. I'll talk about how I viewed Christian. Oh, the believe first me, time. I I put it all over this plot. Like, like eh, eh, okay. <laughs> but anyways, Rose proposes that the film may be read as a parable of snarky city smart modern rationalism undone by primal rural values. Alternatively, he proposes that the villagers' traditions could be read as far right white nationalists or eugenics. Yeah. These are the more common interpretations. Mm-hmm. So, I, could, I mean, you could see that, I guess. Midsummer received positive reviews from critics, holding an approval rating of 83% on Rotten Tomatoes based on 404 reviews. The site's consensus describes the film as ambitious, well-crafted, and unsettling, solidifying Ari Aster's reputation as a prominent horror filmmaker. On Metacritic, the movie holds a score of 72 out of 100, indicating generally favorable reviews based on 54 critics' assessments. Midsommar. Midsommar. I always forget, too, that Cheaty from The Good Place is in this. I know. Every time I see I him, lo- I'm like, you're not in horror movies. I know. I Aren't love The Good Place. Kristen Bell? Like- <laughs> Let's do a season on The Good Place. A whole season. That would be interesting, actually, just to review every episode of The Good Place. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're not doing that. Oh, no. You were just kidding? I was ready. <laughs> <laughs> We'd have to do a whole separate podcast. Yeah. Okay. Where it's like, there's a finite number of episodes, start to finish, mm-hmm, podcast mm-hmm. over. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Are you ready for the plot? <laughs> yeah. In the winter, American college student Danny is left severely depressed and traumatized after her sister Terry kills herself and her parents via carbon monoxide poisoning in a bipolar depression episode. I said I wasn't going to interrupt you all that much in this because of how long the plot is. But I just want to mention the crying, the guttural oh, screaming yeah. from Florence. Bone chilling. And so well done. Mm-hmm. Like, this kicks off this movie so well. Yes. It's just so good. I just had to talk about it because it was like, you definitely just feel that. Right. And so it's like definitely just the pure emotion, especially. And like, you can hear her from outside her building and stuff like that crying. And Also, what really gets me in these opening scenes, too, is how dark and, like, stale everything is. 
And I love the artwork that they've used to decorate this apartment. Mm -hmm. There's this great picture. I think it's above the bed that they sleep in of this little girl wearing a crown, kissing a bear on the nose. And I'm like, perfect. Let me get that and frame it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's supposed to like basically symbolize exactly what's going to happen. But but still, I love it. Anyway, I will continue. (laughs) Yeah. Sorry. I was just like, I just had to talk about Flo's performance because I was like. Oh, my God. Like, just kicked off the first time I saw it. I'm like, oh, right. this is going to be a long, long movie, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> so, the incident further strains her difficult relationship with her emotionally unavailable boyfriend, Christian, a fellow student who was planning to break up with Danny prior to her family's death. In the spring, Christian, along with his friends Mark and Josh, are invited by their exchange student friend, Pell, to attend a midsummer festival at his ancestral commune, the Harga in the rural Helsingland region of Sweden. Real quick, is his name Pelle or is it Pell? I think they call him Pell every time, but it could be just shortened as a nickname, but oh, okay. it could be Pelle. The festival occurs only once every 90 years. Josh, who is writing his thesis on European midsummer festivities, regards it as a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Oh, sure is. Yes. When Danny finds out about the trip, she's upset with Christian for not telling her. Again, he was intending to break up with her beforehand, but kept postponing it, so he decides inviting her along begrudgingly would be the better alternative. This stupid ass. He just, like, makes it worse. Like, instead of just basically manning up and just, like, stop stringing her along. Right. And he was, like, about to break up with her, and then the tragedy struck. hmm And you know what? She's upset, but she's not even, like, that upset. She's just like, why didn't you just tell me? Right. And he makes it this whole big thing. And like it, it's like the like, constant like, lying thing to me too. Like when she finds out they're at a party and he's like, Yeah, we're just thinking about it. But then when they get home and they have, you know, the argument, she's like, But you already have a ticket. Like it's not you're thinking about it, you're going. Yeah, because like, he's like, I just decided tonight. Like, no, no just, just say that you were going. Like Yeah, just be And it's not like she even asked, like, can I go too? She just wants to know. Because right. they're dating. They've been dating for almost four years. Yeah. People have awareness of each other when they're partners. Like <laughs> <laughs> right. they perceive each other yeah. sometimes. Yeah. Like it's yeah. kind of a thing that happens. Mm-hmm. Like <sighs> So in the summer they travel to the commune where the group meets Simon and Connie, a British couple brought by Pele's brother, Ingmar. Ingmar offers psychedelic mushrooms to the group, and Danny hesitates due to her mental state, but doesn't want the group to dislike her, so she gives in. She ends up hallucinating and sleeping for nearly six hours. She sees trees breathing, flowers growing out of her hand, and when she becomes overwhelmed with emotion, she runs into a shed and sees her dead sister in the mirror. Also, you don't look in the mirror when you're on shrooms. Just pro tip. Not that I would know, but I'm just saying, don't do that. (laughs) The day after their arrival, Pele shows them around and explains the communal housing as they all sleep together based on their age group. They compare the life cycle to seasons, spring being a child till 18, summer an adult to go out on pilgrimages. Pilgrimages? And pilgrimage. Kumishish. Pilgrimages till 36, fall a laborer until you're 54, and winter a tribe elder until 72. Specifically 72. (laughs) Yeah. I actually heard about that because I was interested in writing a story about using a deck of cards as like channeling ghosts. mm -hmm. And I found out deck of cards actually fall through that same line. Like one suit represents a season, a season, as well as 
life cycle. Life cycle in your life. Oh, geez. So, fun fact. Look into it. Deck of cards. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Soon after, the group witnesses an atestupa ceremony where two of the commune's elders commit suicide by throwing themselves off a cliff onto rocks below. And this is a legit thing. What? I, I looked it up. It's in... On Wikipedia, it's a legit ceremony. Who does this? I think it was in Norse mythology, mostly. Oh, mythology or real life? Mm. <laughs> because, uh, oh no. Is the Swedish word given to a number of steep cliffs? The myth of a Atestupa holds that in prehistoric Nordic times, older community members would throw themselves off a precipice for the sake of the greater good during famines or crisis. Okay, it said myth. So I'm going to go uh, ahead. I'm going to go ahead and say no, no. Okay. <laughs> Alex says, <laughs> put this to bed. <laughs> I said no, no. I mean, me, I'm sure. I mean, so, like, more like a myth or a legend or yeah. that maybe. I'm sure it has happened. Let's be honest. Like, freaking anything could happen in the history of the world. Like, yeah. I'm sure that myth came from something that had actually happened. Mm-hmm. So, I would not put it past nobody. So the first elder is killed instantly, horrifying the outsiders who beg the second not to do the same. However, the second elder jumps, but is only injured by the fall. The commune mimics his cries of pain, and several of them take turns crushing his head with a mallet. (laughs) And you're like, clearly the first one was sufficient. We don't need to keep going. They gotta make sure, man. (laughs) (sighs) He was good and dead after that. That was so disturbing because mm-hmm. they show it. They show the head like breaking open. I'm like, oh, yeah. Wow. I did not need to see that. Ari Aster loves destroying heads. heads. <laughs> not the head. Not the head. <laughs> he hates head. Yikes. <laughs> Connie and Simon are rightfully horrified and the most vocal about their feelings on the ceremony, which upsets the commune. Elder Siv calms them by explaining that every member does this at 72 and considers it a great gesture and a great honor passing the sacrificed names down to the commune's newborns. Because it makes it seem like they're reborn into Mm. the baby. Yeah, or something like that. They said that they give their life as a gesture, like, why let yourself grow old and suffer kind of thing and become so ill that it, like, kills your spirit when you could just give your life. Yeah. I mean, you know what? Whatever. <laughs> like, if that's what you want to do. Does it have to be this, though? Like, yeah, there's got to be a better way. Right. Like, the second person just like, woof, he yeah. really just screwed that up. Right. Yeah. When they return from the ceremony, Christian tells Josh he'd also like to write about the Harga commune for his thesis and is willing to collaborate with him on it. I'm like, bitch. <laughs> Get your own idea. Right. And, like, again... Josh has been studying for this, like he's prepared, like he's read into like the different language and everything to try to understand these runic symbols. And Christian's like, yeah, there's definitely something here to talk about. You. (laughs) You don't say. (laughs) You think I came all this way for something that's not that interesting. Right. No. Do Christians. Mm hmm. This only infuriates Josh since he had studied the culture previously. And it just looks like Christian's attempting to plagiarize his idea. Still disturbed by the ceremony, Danny attempts to leave, but Pal convinces her to stay by giving her a drawing of her as the May Queen for her birthday, which Christian has forgotten, and points out that when he lost his family in a fire, he was also sad, but had his community to support him. <laughs> he was also upset. By that. <laughs> he was also just real blue, <laughs> just real blue about that. Yeah, his whole family got murdered <laughs> in a fire. He was a little upset. Yeah, a little, a little, a little sad. <laughs> 
basically implying that Danny is alone in her depression and should stay to see if the commune can help her. Afterwards, we find out that Connie and Simon have decided to leave and are driven to the nearest train station individually because apparently the truck's too small, can only hold one other person. Yeah, they're like, Simon left, and Connie's like, what? Why would he do that? Right, it's super suspicious. Sus. (laughs) Very sus. Yes. During Josh and Christian's individual interviews for their thesis research, Christian discovers that the commune avoids incest by inviting outsiders in the group. But Josh realizes they do actually allow incest once every generation (laughs) so they can create a special needs child unencumbered by normal life to be their prophet. Right. It's like, why are you lying? Yeah. Also, I will say if I had one criticism of this movie, like that whole bit was like, why? I don't like when movies do that, like to make a spectacle of people that are disabled or special needs and stuff like that to make them the horror and yeah. I remember they showed this person's face enough in the beginning to make it seem like this was part of the evil going on here. And really, they're just a non-factor to the yeah. whole I don't, movie. I don't know if they're necessarily trying to make this person seem like evil or anything like that. And It I, was just like a shock factor thing. Yeah, yeah. And I could definitely see like this group of people doing that. So I don't know if it's necessarily the movie doing it per se, but these people doing it. Mm-hmm. Making a spectacle out of this person. That being said, like that whole plot point could be totally just taken out of this movie right. and you wouldn't know any better. Now, I will say I'd be curious. I don't know if you did any research if this that is also based on like a myth or a legend. Or maybe, yeah. But in any case, that whole thing could have been cut out because you see this person like two or three times and it's like a non-factor in the end. Yeah. You didn't need to do that. Right. Meanwhile, Danny has been asked to help the commune women prepare the meals. At dinner that evening, Mark is on the outs with the commune because he unknowingly urinated on a sacred tree. He's worried there might be repercussions, but forgets about it when a woman asks him to go with her. I realize Mark is a little bit more of a worrywart than I initially took him for. (laughs) I realized that like when they're first tripping in the field, he's like, everybody lay back. Everybody lay back. It's real good if you all lay back. <laughs> and then he looks over and he's like, Josh, why aren't you laying down? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, like he's just like trying to control something you can't really control. Yeah. Like everyone's having a trip, you know? Wasn't he also the one talking about ticks or something? Yeah, you check know? me for ticks and stuff yeah. like that. And yeah. But it all comes unraveled with the thought of a woman. Right. So yeah. that's then the only thing that that's doesn't matter. Him <laughs> together. Right. Christian finds the essence of a love spell under his pillow and in his food that is depicted on a tapestry in the commune titled A Love Story. Do you want to describe the tapestry? There's a vagine and pubic hair. Menstrual blood. Menstrual blood. I don't really know what the hell's going on, but they say it's a love story. So I was like, all right. Uh, Yeah, uh, to be more descriptive. Than that, I guess, that we see a woman kind of like ogling a man in a picture. She cuts some pubic hair and collects some menstrual blood from herself. That's on the tapestry? Yes. Okay. See, I don't remember. And deposits it in his food and drink. And then we cut to a picture of this man. And he's got like those little spirals in his eyes like he's hypnotized. And then we see that they, in the next little picture, that they are married and she's pregnant. I remember some of that tapestry. I don't <laughs> remember the whole thing. Yeah. So, paint okay, that picture. <laughs> that 
That night, Josh sneaks out of bed to take illicit photographs of the commune's sacred text. He's not supposed to do that. No. And he asked previously when he first talked to them, like, can I take a picture? And they were like, yeah, no. No, no. Don't even think about it. And he's doing this illegally mm-hmm. to jail. Mm-hmm. To hark a jail, you go. Yeah. He is caught and distracted by a man wearing Mark's skinned face and is then bludgeoned to death with a mallet and dragged away. I thought it was his whole body that was skinned. I... Because he's naked. So I thought it was his whole body. Because it looked weird, like on his leg area. Really? I I thought it was his whole... I didn't catch that. It's very dark. Because when they... I don't know. When they use him later, like Mm -hmm. when they use his body later, he seems to be almost like... Kind of like a pillow with a head. In a sense, <laughs> yeah. like the rest of him is Spoiler. like a cloth. Yeah. So I can't really uh, say okay. whether or not I th- they actually used his whole body. Yeah. <laughs> well, regardless, it's definitely part of his body. It's some, at least his face. Mm-hmm. It so, might be like his whole head, honestly. Just yeah. The insides taken out. I'm going to vomit. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's fine. The following day, Danny is encouraged to participate in the May Queen competition where young women dance around a maypole until exhaustion and crown the last girl the winner. The other girls pressure her to take a hallucinogenic tea to help her stamina. You are the dancing queen. queen. You're the queen. Only in a call. (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, Christian is told that the elders approve of him mating with Maya a commune girl that was responsible for the love spell. And he's encouraged to take a tea as well for his vitality. <laughs> well, it's a little bit more than a vitality. He's like, what's going on? <laughs> what is happening? Uh, Can I ask you a question? Yeah. What's going on? That's what he says. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, they literally take him into a shed and disrobe him. And he's like, what's happening? He's like, just go through there. You'll see. It's fine. <laughs> You'll figure it out real quick, bud. Don't worry about it. <laughs> We cut back to Danny as she wins the competition and is crowned May Queen. Slay, do you think they let her win? Like, this is all... Kind of, yeah. I feel like it was intentional. But also, they have this moment where they're dancing, and I think it's down to her and, like, two, three other girls, and the other girls are trying to speak Swedish with her. And she's like, oh, no, I don't speak Swedish. And then she says something back to her, and she's like, we don't need to. We're dancing or whatever. But then Danny's actually speaking Swedish with them, and Mm. they're all, like, so happy about it. Like, as if it's just something that just came naturally to her rather than than it actually being forced. So I guess the question – so, yeah, she's speaking Swedish and understanding it now. Mm -hmm. Do you think that was – a metaphor like they weren't actually talking and they were just understanding each other through the dance or do you think she was actually speaking swedish i don't know unclear yeah so i just feel like that's my argument for like so maybe they did it on purpose but maybe not if she's understanding swedish because then she's more connected to them than we thought yeah maybe she has harker ancestors she, yeah don't know. maybe I was just curious because, yeah, she just starts talking and understanding Swedish, no problem. And I was like, well, maybe that's like metaphorical because they're like, we don't have to talk. We're dancing. They make right. a point to say that. So I'm like, well, maybe they're just communicating through their bodies. Dance, queen. Dance. <laughs> Although I did see in a theory somewhere, but I don't know how true it is because I never caught Danny's last name in the actual movie. Someone says that Danny's last name is something Swedish almost that means to burn. <laughs> yeah. Just a fun little fact, I guess, if that's true. Jinkies. 
Then we see that Christian, in a trance, participates in a sex ritual designed to impregnate Maya, while older nude females watch on, mimicking the sounds and unnecessarily assist in the act. You know, as you do. Yeah. And, like, I think her mom's there. And she just, like, sings in his face. Like, <laughs> yeah. I was like, huh. Look at him go. Yeah. That okay. is so helpful. <laughs> and an older woman gets behind him. Like, this she's just so like, shady. let's just get that in there. <laughs> it's just more like, let's get this job done kind yeah, of a situation. Kind of. Like, come on. Let's go. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why the rest of the people have to be naked. I don't know if it's, like, the whole, you know, how they cry when other people are crying or feeling the pain. I think it's part of that, it's part too. of the immersion uh, of the group. Yeah. Like, I don't know if you have to experience your daughter's the hargadoo losing her virginity. The hargadoo, I guess. Okay, dogadoo. Oh, and the freaky thing she says is like right after it's done, she like balls herself up and she's holding her legs around uh, back and forth, and she's like, "I can feel it. I can feel the baby." And like, what the fuck, lady? Good for you. <laughs> I mean, okay, she's really in tune with her mm-hmm. innards. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Danny elsewhere is asked to partake in the tradition of blessing the commune's crops, and when she returns, sees Christian cheating on her with Maya. She has another panic attack, but this time surrounded by the commune women. They hold her and empathize by mimicking her cries of despair. When Christian comes to, he flees from the ritual naked. (laughs) He then discovers Josh's severed leg planted in a flower bed, and Simon barely alive on display in a barn, having been made into a blood eagle. Wait, is it barely alive? He was still alive? Yeah, apparently blood eagle, you know, sacrifices or whatever they call, whatever they did to him. The person is left alive. So Is that, because his body was moving, I saw. Yeah, because I was like, why are you getting so close to him? You know he's dead. Like, his back is on his outside, like, like <laughs> spread out by his arms. Like, I was like, there's no way this kid's still alive. So I was like, why are you bothering getting close? Like, just run. It must be because he was still breathing. Yeah. Well, you see, you do see his back like moving and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I thought maybe it was like the wind or something. Yeah. I thought it was like some weird paranormal shit. Or because he was high. Yeah. That oh too. my God. I didn't realize he was still alive. Yeah. I confirmed it through a couple of theories that, like, yeah, he's alive. Oh my shit. Also, I do want to say you said that she catches him cheating. Mm-hmm. Despite my disdain of Christian. I'm going to go ahead and give him a pass on this situation. <laughs> I don't think it's entirely his fault because I almost feel like it was the R word in a way. Because I don't think he was able to consent in the state he was in. I could be wrong. No, I will say fair. But leading up. He was making eyes at her. He, yes. It yes. wasn't like it was completely mm. off the table kind of thing. I just don't think. He wanted it to happen that way. So, so think, yes, I think he was taken advantage of. He was under the influence of some hallucinogenic date rape drug kind of thing. Yeah. But she sees him, like, immediately when he arrives. And she's, like, you know, kind of like when a little girl has a crush kind of thing. Like, mm-hmm. she kicks him running by and, like, you know, she does her weird little love spell and stuff like that. But he still kind of ogles her Oh yeah. either way. It, yeah. But I'm just saying, like... The odds of, sure, it pr- probably would have happened, but it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. So to say, like, well, it was going to happen anyways. You know, like. Right. I'm not defending this man, but in that, I was like, that's not good. No. <laughs> that's I, not I, right. The actions leading up and stuff like that, too. Oh, I yeah. just think that, like, 
no matter how it was happening, happening, it was, it, it was what it was. <laughs> yeah. And that was like the final straw for Danny. So yeah. obviously. Oh yeah. I mean, I don't blame her reaction at all. Mm-hmm. Like she, she doesn't know what the hell was going on. Right. So I'm just saying like for all of Christian's wrongs doings, I, this was not one of them. I feel. Yeah. That's the only thing I'm giving him. Right. I'm giving him an inch. <laughs> I, I will just say that like, yes, it's, not his fault that this scenario happened to him. That's out of his control. Mm-hmm. But it's his fault for like ogling and not deliberately saying no to this girl too when she took interest in him. Like they even took him aside into an elder's building and said that, like, how do you feel about Maya? And he's like, Oh, I think I ate her pubic hair. And he's like, Well, you've been approved to mate with her, and that that might be why she's doing that. Uh-huh. And he never says, like, no, Let's not do that. Like, I don't want to do that. Right. Or, like, I'm with Danny. He just kind of, like, oh, that's nice. <laughs> right. Although, I know we're getting a little derailed here. There's technically, in the script, they did break up. It's not in the final version. But at this point, they were technically. Mm. Remember the scene? They break up. The deleted scene that I sent you and you said, oh, I've seen this before. Oh, I thought it was the little boy drowning thing. Yeah, after that, there's more. Oh. They fight and they break up. Oh, shit. Sorry. I didn't see that. Oh, no, it's fine. Oh, so anyways. I thought it was a must have been a short clip that I watched then. Yeah, the one I sent you was like seven minutes, but they have this whole fight. We could talk about that later if we have time. Okay. But, um. We'll go ahead. Just say it is a deleted scene, but talk yeah. about it. But oh, a- yeah. as we know it as the theatrical right. version. So, they are still together. Mm-hmm. But go ahead. What you saw. Oh, yeah. It's just scene. there's a deleted scene. Where they actually have a fight, and he basically breaks it off with Danny. Oh, okay. And they're like, they're done. Mm, so right. it has to be before that that scene. So depending on how they cut it, you know, yeah. you think they're still together technically. But in any case, it's just in, in context, because I think that's also in the director's cut. Like right. that's kept in like there. Like that's how they intended to mm-hmm. film it all together. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. But we have to judge the movie as it's presented to us. So yeah. in this case, the character definitely should have said something. Right. An elder then surprises Christian and blows an unknown powder in his face, paralyzing him. So in the finale, and I just want to tell you that this festival is supposed to take place over nine days. And the finale of the movie is probably around day three or four. <laughs> so we don't know what's happening after this. Yeah. Ending, but just know that, you know, there's there could be stuff going on later. <laughs> yeah, just some after party stuff. Yeah, you know, yeah. Who knows? <laughs> so in the finale, the commune leaders explain that the commune must offer nine human sacrifices to purge it of evil. The first four victims, Mark, Josh, Simon, and Connie, were outsiders lured to them by Pal and Ingmar, while the next four victims, the two Atastupa elders, plus volunteers Ingmar and Ulf, are from the commune. The leaders then look to their May Queen, Danny, to choose the final sacrifice, with the option of choosing an immobilized and unable to speak Christian or a randomly chosen commune member. And they like set this, they stack the deck basically. They're <laughs> like, or you could just take your horrible boyfriend. Like, <laughs> yeah, this guy who's done nothing but treat you like shit. Right. Or this random person. Yeah, who's we, innocent. We, we found this random man. But <laughs> he's willing, but we, we also have your awful boyfriend yeah it did make me laugh though because they kind of pull it out of like a bingo mm-hmm. rotating thing they're like little balls yes and oh, yeah, they carved little... all of their names onto them somehow like they're like little runic symbols so yeah. like everyone's name 
I also noticed that when they were dancing and stuff, they all had different runes on their... It must be their names yeah. or something or whatever they Danny feel like they one. represent. Interesting. I could do like a whole nother video about symbolism and everything. I know. We'll just have to make this two episodes. <laughs> part one, part two. <laughs> yes. Christian is the obvious choice. So we watch on as he's stuffed into the skin of a disemboweled brown bear and placed in a yellow triangular temple along with the other sacrifices. The structure is set alight. Ingmar and Ulf scream as they catch fire, even though they are promised to feel no pain. Yeah, these bitches lied. Yeah. They come around, like, as they're setting everything up, and they're like, here, like, take this nectar from some sort of tree, feel no pain, like, safe journey kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Good luck. (laughs) And they kind of just sit there happy as a clam that they're going to sacrifice themselves. And then the fire touches them, and they scream instantly. (laughs) They're like, this is gross! (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And the commune members mimic the screams of those being burned alive. Danny initially screams out in horror, but as the temple continues to burn, we see her start to smile. And that's the end. I want to say the final like shots of this movie are beautifully done. Mm-hmm. It's horrifying, but watching her struggle, yes. screaming in, like, she's covered in flowers in this giant dress. I don't even know if thing. it is a dress, honestly. That's a cone, really. I don't know. <laughs> right? But- like, they put her in this, like, cone-shaped thing of flowers. It's huge. She can barely move in it. Yeah. So she's like almost like walking like a wounded animal across mm. this field as everyone's freaking out about the temple because, you know, they're supposed to mimic their emotions. Yeah. But then it kind of seems like, hey, I finally got exactly yeah. what I wanted. I know. <laughs> I just the music and the way it's shot, it's just a very interesting mm-hmm. little end scene there. So I really like that. Yeah. And I think you get so used to Danny's character being so sad and being so cheated in every way that when she smiles even though it's like you know kind of villainous at this point you're mm-hmm. like yeah good for yeah, you oh yeah you i'm get so it. happy for you hon i'm Girl, glad that you're happy it's like she's gone through so much shit you don't blame her mm-hmm. you know you're like was that great no. no but someone had to die like someone was gonna die yeah they were gonna do it anyway <laughs> Christian was a piece of shit. Maybe maybe the friends, maybe you should reconsider for them, but I mean, she didn't do that. She didn't try to choose that. Yeah, so it was either this innocent guy who just got pulled, his name literally got pulled at random, or Christian. It was Mm -hmm. like, you're going to send someone to their death. And you know what? Christian had it coming at this point. Christian sucked. He did. He blamed people for things. He's like, we're not friends with them. Oh, yeah. When he got caught. Yeah, I forgot to mention, too, that. Right after Josh tries to steal their sacred text or something like that, you know, he goes missing because the guy that's wearing the Mark mask attacks him. Mm-hmm. But the next day, they were just like, yeah, someone's stolen the book. The temple's left open so you can put it back so no one will know it's you. But, hey, Josh is missing, too, so... He took the book, right? <laughs> and and Christian immediately comes up to them and he's like, we don't collaborate with them. We're not associated with them. I'm like, you literally came here with them. Right. You're like, we're not friends. He literally said we're not friends or something. Yeah. We don't know him. Like, man, and I love- everyone saw you guys hanging out. I know. I love Danny because you, you, if you watch Danny, she's just like staring at him in disbelief right. that he's well- saying this shit. And he literally had just asked people to collaborate with him on this thesis because right. they needed to get permission from the commune to do their thesis. Uh-huh. So he's a lie. He's a big lie. Yeah. Just one of many. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So would you like to hear about the differences between cults and communes? I do. 
I would say that I've decided to do it this way just because there is a little bit of overlap. This isn't like a direct cult cult. It's more of a religion. Yeah. Well, <laughs> like it's more of like an intentional community, but with the religious spin. Got it. And I just feel like there's a lot better examples of actual cults and like how people are indoctrinated in. Usually it's more about getting members than it is about getting sacrifices <laughs> right. and stuff like that. So tomato, tomato in this case. So that's why I'm doing both. Got it. <laughs> cults and communes are two distinct concepts, although they can sometimes overlap. The differences between them are as such. Cults are typically characterized by a charismatic leader who exerts significant influence and control over their followers. They often employ manipulative tactics to maintain control over their members, such as isolation, indoctrination, and psychological manipulation. They tend to have strict and exclusive belief system with little room for dissent or individuality. The goals of cults are often centered around the leader's agenda, which may involve financial gain, power, or the fulfillment of their own desires. Cults can be harmful to their members, leading to psychological, emotional, and sometimes physical abuse. Whoa, whoa, wait, cults are bad for people? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought should. they were great. <laughs> and communes, on the other hand, are intentional communities where a group of people live together and share resources, responsibilities, and decision-making. Communes are often informed based on shared values such as environmental sustainability, social equality, or spiritual beliefs. In communes, individuals have more autonomy and freedom to express their own opinions and beliefs. The primary focus of communes is usually on creating a cooperative and supportive living environment where members work together for the common good. Communes can vary widely in their structure and practice, but they generally promote cooperation, equality, and communal living. So... Cult bad, commune good. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> and since we basically, and since we've kind of did like a little overview of both, I have an online example for both scenarios. So Penny on Cora says, "I was a member of a cult, the Children of God, when I was nineteen to twenty. I've written quite extensively about it in other answers here on Cora. During the time I belonged, I didn't realize it was a cult. I was aware that other people thought it was a cult, but we laughed at that idea." We believed in the group and knew that we weren't brainwashed zombies. We believed in our cause and believed that the things the cult taught us were right. I really believed I was part of a big, important movement that was going to save or change the world. Once I became a member, it became my whole identity. At the time that I joined, I thought I would be part of it for the rest of my life. I didn't quit intentionally. We'd all been told that we needed to get out of the U.S. and Canada and move out to other colonies and other parts of the world. I didn't have anyone who could finance my travels overseas, so I opted to return home to my parents and get a job to save up some money to travel onto another colony outside the U.S. But things didn't come together for me. I couldn't find a job that paid enough to save up the kind of money I would need. I thought if God really wants me to do this, then he should provide me with means to earn the money to travel. I began to question whether I was really meant to continue with the group or not. I'd had some doubts and uncertainties during the last few months that I'd been in the group, and those doubts grew. After I'd been back home for a couple months, I went to visit the nearest colony to me, which was a couple hours away. I didn't personally know any of the people there, and it felt weird to me. I didn't feel like I belonged there. I felt like an outsider. I went back home and eventually came to the conclusion that I'd gone as far with the group as I was meant to go, and that it was time to move on with my life and do something else. Even then, I didn't realize I'd been in a cult. Girl. I really didn't have any understanding of cult dynamics. I still thought the group was doing a good thing but that it just wasn't for me anymore. It wasn't until many years later that I really realized what I'd been a part of. 
I heard bits and pieces of negative publicity about the group through the media, and it really shocked me to hear of some of their horrible practices. From what I understand now, the group really delved into some twisted thinking and behaviors in the years after I left. It made me glad that I'd gotten out when I did. I've since read a couple of memoirs by former COG members, one written by the daughter of the founder or prophet of the group. It was really eye-opening to me. I never personally met the founder of the group, so I had no idea what he was really like. I discovered he was basically a crazy man, a narcissistic, delusional, grandiose alcoholic, and sexual abuser. He surrounded himself with enablers who believed he was God's mouthpiece and could do no wrong. It was a pretty sickening realization that I'd been a member of a movement based on the teachings of that man. What I lost by leaving was my identity as a child of God. I thought I was part of something really cool and that we were the most devoted, radical, and revolutionary group of the Jesus Freak movement. I lost my family of other cult members. I lost my purpose and belief system. I lost the feeling of belonging to something bigger and more important than me. What I gained was my freedom to live my life on my own terms. In the group, there was no individuality. There was no room for independent thinking or actions. There was no questioning or challenging anything we were taught or told to do. We were all trained to be obedient followers. Logic and critical thinking skills were not needed. Doubting was of the devil. For many years after I left the group, I didn't know what to believe. I didn't join any church or follow any religious practice. I still believed in God, but didn't know what kind of belief system was really right. In later years, I made a couple of attempts to join churches that made some kind of sense to me. Churches that were not fundamentalist Christian or evangelical churches. But I didn't stay with any of them. Today, I do not consider myself a Christian or a religious person at all. I don't belong to any church or spiritual movement and do not follow any particular spiritual path. I'm in agreement with much of what I've heard from the atheist community. I think religion has really screwed up people's heads and caused all kinds of wars and atrocities. So much shit has been done in the name of religion. So much persecution of people for not believing the way the persecutors do. To me, it's just insane. I still think there may be some form of God, some kind of higher consciousness, some kind of force in the universe that we just don't understand. Maybe the universe itself is conscious. I'm still a seeker and explorer of deeper meanings and alternative realities. The biggest takeaway I've gained from having been a cult member is not to join any organization that wants to tell you how to think or do your thinking for you. I think too many people are quick to believe something that sounds good on the surface without doing any research or looking more deeply or critically at the message of the organization or the background and character of the person leading it. Critical thinking skills should be taught from elementary school upward. I never took a critical thinking class until I was an adult in college. I think if more kids were trained how to think and evaluate critically, we'd have less kids who are vulnerable to cults. Is there a cult epidemic snatching kids? Um, <laughs> I don't know. I honestly know nothing really about cults. So. so certain people are more susceptible. I don't really know about like kids actually being snatched up into cults. Typically, at least from like the ones I know, like with the Jonestown cult, they would kind of parade themselves around being like a choir. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and people would like <laughs> join in on on that, and then they would just be like, "Hey, we're gonna take the party elsewhere. You want to come with us?" And then they'd come with them on these like buses that they'd take and stuff like that. And then these people would be miles away from whatever they'd known, and then they just kind of keep riding it out and never actually find out where they were and go home. Interesting. Um, Sometimes people that don't feel like they have a connection to someone in their home life are more susceptible because then people will come in and be like, we'll be your family. We'll tell oh, you yeah. what to think. And there's this great guy. He's he's the best. All you have to do is give us all your money and yeah. come live here with us. It's and, some, oh, sorry. Go ahead. And when you get there, they 
purposely oppress you in a way that makes it hard for you to think anything outside of the collective. They'll like limit how often you can sleep and how much work you'll do. Like they'll work you like 12 hours a day and only let you sleep for four hours be- and then they'll wake you up and have like 12 meetings and mm-hmm. and then it's just all about whatever you're hearing yeah yeah so <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing i was gonna say it just sounds like people who are like wanting a community yeah or need to be a part of something basically and there are like the doomsayers too like jonestown was a big one for that too like what i was saying too with like like keeping him people up and um and just doing constant meetings, even when they were working, he was playing like a recording of him speaking about yeah. all this stuff mm-hmm. and, you know, that they had to gather together and and prepare for the end and stuff like that. There's also a lot of collection of money as well, too. Some people think that they're helping the greater good by giving up all their worldly possessions into the cult, but usually it's the leader has like a private jet or something. <laughs> or yeah. You know what? I want to start a cult. I think that sounds great. <laughs> if you want to sign up, go to 13screamspod at gmail.com <laughs> and we start, we'll start one. It's mm-hmm. fine. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. I also have a little quote about what it was like to live in a commune by George Sawyer from Cora. He says, I've lived in two, two more houses, the Oakland Morehouse, downtown Oakland, California for three years and Lafayette Morehouse, Lafayette, California for a bit over four years. So far. The Morehouse community started in 1968. As anyone who has lived communally will tell you, the best thing about living communally is the people. Paradoxically, the worst thing about living together is the people. It's far more intimate than living in an ordinary household. People know a huge amount about each other. Your comings and goings, how your life is going, etc., etc. No, no. <laughs> the good news is that they care. Care about you. Care about each other. Stay out my business. I don't care if you care. <laughs> Stop looking at me. Stop looking. Do not perceive me. <laughs> oh, it's and, exhausting. And there is much more you can get done in a group. As a group, you can own, operate, and maintain trucks, tractors, roof, a building, create a charity, raise kids, help each other have successful, pleasurable, long-lasting relationships. Uh-oh. Or far more difficult, we can move in someone's parents and take care of them. There's nothing on TV, no reality TV show, no soap opera that is as interesting as what happens in our kitchen every week. Life, real life, up close. The half-life of most intentional communities is quite short, certainly less than 10 years, possibly less than five. There are only a handful of groups from the 60s that have survived, often in a radically different form, organization, or philosophy than they started with. I feel very fortunate to have found a group with really good information on living together, information that kept communities together for over 42 years. End of quote. So, yeah, communes are more of like intentional communities. So, like, if we got together with like 10 of our closest friends and we were like, you know, let's build a cul-de-sac or something like that. And we will be our own political people in control of this community. We'll build a garden for fresh fruits and vegetables and and we'll, you know, take care of each other's kids and pets and stuff like that and we'll all work together and do these chores together it's just Hmm. sometimes you can see it kind of as a beneficial way like if you were just like doing this with all your friends and you knew friends only (laughs) right but i'll do it if i get to be king (laughs) and i ain't taking care of no child so those are my two caveats i'll do i'll plant a garden that sounds fun (laughs) No one in my kitchen, though. We all get our own houses. Mm-mm, mm-hmm. 
It just sounds like everyone living on the same street. Yeah. Let's then... all buy a house next to each other. <laughs> yeah, basically. But, yeah. but we own the street now. Right. And you're essentially keeping it going. Yeah. We can just do like community activities together and stuff like that. He also posted several other quotes on it, too, about like imagine like if your whole street coordinated like a Halloween party together kind of thing like that. That's like mm-hmm. more or less like the commune style. That doesn't sound bad. It sounds like sounds fine. Yeah, I think it would just be like... Big old party all the time. (laughs) I think the thing that would only pull me back is like the expectation to constantly do chores in the community and stuff like that. I'm not a community person. (laughs) Stephanie, pull your way. I know. That's the thing. Like, don't hold me to the same standard because... No. No. I got my own stuff to do. I'm not asking you to do my chores. Right. So don't ask me to like go and prune the garden or whatever, like... I'll take care That's of my your business. Right. <laughs> I take care of my stuff. You take care of your stuff. We live blessed lives. Like, I, I don't need this. Right. And some people do it like a little bit differently where they'll just be like, let's just all move in on the same street with like all of our family members and friends and stuff that's, like that. That's but, tight. Yeah. Yeah. Then I could see that. Yeah. Yep. Those are the differences. Fun. Thank you for listening. If you enjoy the show and listen on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, giving us a five star rating is super helpful and we always appreciate it. You can find us on social media using 13 Degrees of Screams. This has been 13 Degrees of Screams, and we will see you next week. Dancing queen, you're sweet.